Thank you, Pastor Sunny. God bless you. We're so glad that we can come together to study God's word. You can see my screen. You can see no. my screen? No. Okay. You see my screen? Yes, Pastor. can see now. Okay. We're going to study from the book of Nahum and uh, or Nahum, Kapar Nahum, Nahum. And um, this is the seventh of the 12 minor prophets. This is seven, uh, seventh of the 12 minor prophets. And uh, Nahum, Nahum uh, prophesied against Syria and its capital, Nineveh. And before we go into the study, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, you will make a way. Father, you're our shield. Even in the valley, you will shield us. You will protect us from rain and flood. We thank you. Lord, as we come to study together, hide me behind the cross. Speak to us, minister to us through this message. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And while the book of Jonah records Nineveh's pardon, Nahum predicts its destruction. And Jonah prophesied around 780 B.C., uh, whereas Nahum prophesied about 630 BC. And uh, you find that there was a gap of about 150 years, around 150 years. And Jonah's message was one of uh, mercy and Nahum's message was one of doom. Uh, Jonah prophesied to the same Nineveh, uh, people of Nineveh uh, asking them to repent, and they repented. But uh, here you find uh, that uh, Nahum, after nearly 150 years, he goes to them and prophesies about the destruction that is sure to take place. And uh, Nahum means comfort or consolation. And surely he was a comfort to the people of Judah. And earlier the Assyrians had come, invaded Israel, the northern kingdom, and destroyed that country and taken a lot of people captive and scattered them all around their empire. And uh, now the Judah, the people of Judah, were threatened by the Assyrians. And as the Assyrians were threatening them, uh, God was comforting through prophet Nahum, and uh, it was called, his name was Comfort or Consolation, and it's a collection of poems. And uh, God uh, was vividly explaining to them through, uh, through imagery and poetic language the coming judgment on the people of Assyria and Nineveh, its capital. And uh, the central message is that God's rule is universal and he is the judge of all nations. No nation, however powerful, they were superpowers then. The Assyrians were superpowers all over the place and uh, Egypt was defeated and then they've come over and after this the Babylonians came but during the time of the Assyrian uh, superpower rule uh, they were ruthless and the prophecies of uh, Nahum are a strong message to the nations of the world and uh, that they cannot uh, get away after oppressing people and it is a lesson for us too to live a life of gentleness, kindness, and humility, how we should avoid some of the traits that the Assyrians had. And we may think, oh, I may not be like an Assyrian, but uh, sometimes when you look into our own hearts, definitely uh, some of the qualities of the Assyrians are still in our hearts. And uh, let's see a few things. Uh, the first one is the character of the Assyrians, the character of the Assyrians. And uh, they were, they were ruthless in their uh, effort and uh, they were 
they were ruthless in their effort one minute please my screen is not okay thank you the character uh, the character of the assyrians these people are ruthless and um, they were uh, merciless in their hearts in their actions against the people whom they conquered the bible tells us in the book of ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29 behold this only have i found that god made man upright but they have sought out many inventions this was the words of the wise man god had made man upright you know assyrians were not made evil none are made evil but we go after our own inventions you know our hearts desire our hearts longing and we tend to allow our heart to go in the ways of evil and ruthlessness and assyrians were ruthless and powerful they were powerful and exploited the neighboring countries and became very wealthy and the character of the assyrians were dreadful horrific and terrible and prophet anon pronounces uh, the sins of assyria like this and if you read uh, the if you read uh, uh, nahum chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 uh, you find uh, this is what he mentions whatever they plot against the lord he will bring to an end he will bring to an end trouble will not come a second time they will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine they will be consumed like dry stubble for you nineveh has one come forth who plots evil against the lord and devises wicked plans look at the scripture the prophet says whatever they plot against the lord actually they were plotting against god's people judah they were threatening them and uh, judah the people of judah were living in fear they knew that they will their, their might will not be able to uh, to withstand the might of the assyrians and as they were trembling and as they were in fear the prophet comes to say you are not plotting against god people but you are plotting against god in fact he was a comfort he was a consolation to the people then and for you and me this gives us a good uh, uh, good information that whatever comes it comes against us from evil it is actually a plot against the lord and he says he will bring to an end that's the beauty and then he tells them trouble will not come a second time he has already threatened once the king of assyria had uh, sent in the second kings we will read that i'll show you that scripture and uh, he he sends and threatens them and then now the prophet says this trouble will not come to you the second time once and for all i will make an end of this trouble and uh, he goes on to say in verse 11 for you nineveh has come one forth to plot evil against the lord devices wicked plans um, my dear brother my dear sister you and i can really feel comfort in god's love you and i can understand that god is still on the throne and whatever we go through he sees us he sees our agony he sees our struggles he sees our problems and then he comforts uh, the uh, people of judah he comforts them and tells them um in nahum 1 and verse 12 though i have afflicted you o judah i will afflict you no longer god has afflicted them once and he says though i have afflicted you o judah i will not afflict you again god was going to remove the oppression of the assyrians uh, that once and for all and uh, the assyrians were trying to threaten them and from nahum chapter 1 verse 11 to 15 if you read uh, you find uh, that uh, uh, nahum alternates between the destruction of uh, nineveh and uh, sorry i'm just uh, um he 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 goes between the destruction of nineveh as well as the comfort and consolation to the people of judah and uh, he says uh, that god will bring those people down god will bring those people down and uh, god humbles those who exalt themselves and exalt those who humble themselves assyria was god's instrument for destroying the northern kingdom of israel but this went into their uh, into their 
uh, uh, head and they became very proud. And further, a list of uh, the people of Assyria mentioned here from Nahum chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Wood to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. They were full of blood. They were killing people. They were uh, destroying people. And uh, you look at the scripture, the crack of whips, the second verse, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and, and jostling chariots, charging cavalry, uh, flashing swords uh, and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. This was how they were living, full of blood, full of lies, scheming, plunder. They were looting the innocent people, plundering them, and they were becoming a superpower. They were becoming rich. And always someone was a victim of the Assyrians. And they had no mercy. Why? Why did they do that? The cause of their sins are given here, saying that in verse chapter 3, verse 4, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. You find here that they began to compromise their values like how a male or a female prostitute uh, compromises their values. You have compromised your values like a, with a, like a lust of a prostitute. You had such a lust and you began to sell away all your values and you went after people's lives, their wealth, destroy them and harm them. And God says, this is your sin. And they exacted tribute from other nations for protection. And what is happening now, you know, in, 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 in our term, our Indian term, they call Dadagiri. You know, they exact uh, tribute to protect people. That's what was happening there. They became rich by slave trade. And also they trusted in their own strength. You find that the people of, uh, uh, of uh, Nineveh, in chapter 3, verses 8 to 9, the prophet goes on to tell them their further sins and tells them that, are you better than the Tebes that sat by the Nile and water around her, her rapid, a sea, and water a wall? Cush was a strength, Egypt too, and that without limit, put and the Libyans were helpers. You find here that the Egypt was covered with water. There was Nile around Egypt. It protected them. They were thinking that this is going to be my protection. There was water around them, not only Nile, but there was the other uh, sea around and they were protected. They found, they found that nobody can come and destroy us. Egypt was thinking, and here God wants them. You are thinking like them because you think you have river tigress around you. They had Nile, but that did not protect them. I destroyed the Egyptians, and God allowed the Assyrians to destroy the Egyptians. And now, similarly, Nineveh was protected the waters of Tigris, and they were thinking nobody can destroy us. And God says through the prophet, you will be overthrown. And he puts, he tells them, like, like ripe grapes or ripe figs falls when trees are shaken, so also you will fall uh, easily. He tells them, so also you will fall easily. My dear brother, my dear sister, God's mind is on the evil character of the Assyrians. But the character of God is something different. The character of God is something different. And God had already shown his mercy to the Assyrians, to the people of Nineveh. He had sent prophet Jonah more than 100 years ago to go and warn them, and they repented. But now God's character has not changed. Even though he is angry at the Assyrians, and God, through the prophet, 
tells his people what his character was. Um, the first few verses of chapter focuses on the character of chapter one, focuses on the character of God. The first one is God's wrath. God's wrath. Nahum, Nahum chapter one, verse two, you, you find the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Here you find that God wants them very clearly. He says, I am a jealous God. I'm a God who will avenge evil and I will take vengeance on all my enemies. No one can escape. And he vents his anger, wrath against his enemies. But also he says, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. It's not that Lord will not be angry. He's slow to anger, but his great power will destroy the evil. He goes on to say, he is a jealous God. He is a vengeful God, angry and powerful. But also remember that God is a God of justice. When there is injustice, he makes, it makes him angry. It makes him angry. And if you read in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, you find that the Moses, how he was trying to speak to the people and tell them, the life of God, the character of God. He said, he in 34, 7b, Exodus, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The children and their children for the sins of their parents, he punishes them to the third and fourth generation. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. And he goes on to say in Psalm 2 and verse 12, kiss a son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Here he says, there's a place of refuge for everyone and God blesses them. But at the same time, he will be angry at the people and he will not allow them to escape his wrath. That is God's wrath, God's anger. We also find the next one is God's power. God's power is mentioned there. And uh, the, here the, psalm, uh, the, the, the prophet goes on to mention about God's power in Nahum chapter 1, verses uh, 3 to 6. His way is in the wilderness and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. Here you find that God will not allow his power to lie low. He exhibits his power. He says over greenery, over mountains, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. God's vengeance, justice and omnipotence are stressed by the complete destruction that is going to come on the Assyrians. And his power here is demonstrated by tornadoes, hurricanes, and earthquakes, which he says will be rained upon the people on that land. And his power is so wonderful that he can dry up the sea without the vegetation and destroy everything on the earth. God has the power to do whatever he wants and whatever he wills. No one can withstand his way. God's wrath is there. And on the other side, God's power is, is explained in vivid terms how we can take care of everything. How we can take care of everything. And then he talks about God's goodness. He not only talks about God's wrath and God's uh, power, he also talks about God's goodness. He says in 1.7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for all those who trust in him. What a 
kind God, but most of the time we humans become eligible only for God's wrath, the way we live. But the goodness of God is there. I told you, he is not a God who will not be angry. He will be angry, but he is slow to anger just because the things that are happening in the world are going from bad to worse does not mean that God is quiet and God does not see whether it is a superpower like Assyria or a small nation. God says, I seize everything. I am a good God. I want people to repent. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for all those who trust in him. The Lord is also aware of those who trust in him and will preserve them. This should be a comfort for all of us. God honors faithfulness. He notices it. Understand that he notices this. He knows who are the people who are taking refuge under him. And the Bible says he cares for such people. If you and I take refuge, not just a namesake refuge, we can call ourselves Christians. Namesake refuge. Take under the wings of God and expect God's protection. We will be fools. He knows those who take refuge under him, those who really take refuge under his name. And often we feel that God is not noticing unfaithfulness. But I wanted to assure you, God is noticing faithfulness and truthfulness. And in Exodus 34, you find in 6 and 7, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious, God slow to anger, abounding, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. We find here that God's wrath, God's power and God's goodness are explained in this little book. And we are here to enjoy that God's power and God's goodness if we can take refuge under him. Now, there are two characters, I said, the character of the Assyrians and the character of the character of God. Now, the clash of the characters is something which is very interesting. This clash is mentioned in the book of Nahum. Normally in the world, good people always suffer at the hands of bad people. When a good person and a bad person clash over something good or right, the bad person generally schemes through in the world. But surely in this clash of contrasting characters, God will always win. Assyrians were ruthless. They were greedy. They robbed others, excelled in slave trade, skinned their enemies alive, proud, arrogant, trusted in their own strength. That was their character. But God is slow to anger and Great in power, he is good, a refuge in times of trouble, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And when these two characters clash, God is a God of justice and righteousness and he will always win. And through the prophet, he mocks at the Assyrians. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, he mentions the seas of the city. He mentions to them the seas of the city. An attacker advances. He mocks at them through the prophet. An attacker is advancing against you in any way. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourself. Marshal all your strength. And he mocks at them because once upon a time in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 19 to 25 and 31 to 35, uh, the prophet during the time of Ezekiah, he goes in and mocks at the people of Judah. What is your confidence? Where have you placed your confidence? You think your God is going to deliver you? That was the mocking the people of, or the commander of Assyria was throwing at the people of Judah. And now through the prophet, 
God is mocking at the people of Nineveh. He is telling them, your city is going to be destroyed. And he tells them, soon your messengers will not be heard. Their voice will not be heard. You had sent messengers threatening my people. Soon you people will not hear the messages sent. You will not be able to send your messengers again. They were so proud and arrogant that they thought they can last forever. Maybe with their opponents, they can last, but not with God. Overnight, all their pride and arrogance is brought down to nothing. Truth, justice, holiness, power are in God's domain. Man can never fiddle with it or tarnish with it forever. He may try to do it, but it can never succeed. Please note that always in your life. This has been a very comfort to me to know that truth, justice, holiness, and power are, are belonging to God. It is in God's domain. Man can never fiddle with it or tarnish it forever. They may try to do it, but they will not succeed. It's a comfort to you and me when we face lies, injustice, evil, and when we are powerless against the powers of this world, let us remember that these things are belonging to God. Man can never win. God will always win. In the clash of characters, God will always win. And now, what can we take from the book of Nahum? The message is clear and simple. The prophet is telling them very clearly, and to you and me very clearly, that pride and arrogance will not succeed. He's telling us, block pride and arrogance. Block pride and arrogance in our lives. This is a warning for everyone in this world. Assyria's pride and arrogance do not last long. They were trying to live forever. They thought they can always go ahead and do what they want. But God intervened. We know the history that how they were destroyed once and for all. God brought in the Babylonians, destroyed them forever. And the kingdom of Babylon became the superpower. And later God used it to destroy Judah because they were not obedient. They were not obedient. And in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verses uh, 1 onwards, if you read, you find that God is calling us to put off the old man and put on the new man. Pride and arrogance. We think it is only with the people of the world, with the Assyrians, or the people of the world who do not know God. In my experience, I've seen people who call themselves believers being proud and arrogant, ruthless in their life, in their words, in their actions, in their attitude. And it, is, it will not automatically go away from our lives. We have been conditioned, you know, our lives have been conditioned to evil from small. We have seen our parents, our friends, our schoolmates, our college mates, our teachers, our neighbors. We have seen people proud and arrogant and we have gathered some of those qualities inside us. And that's why God is telling to, through Paul, in the book, book, book of Colossians, put off this old man and put on the new man. You and I have to take conscious effort to throw this evil away from us, to shun this evil from, away from us. And uh, we have to be careful of our body language. Sometimes uh, these are all unspoken pride and arrogance. The body language we show to the people in this world, it shows our inner personality coming out through our body language. Beware, block that. You and I have to block this pride and arrogance. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter uh, 16 and verse 5, the wise man tells us, 
everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Everyone who is arrogant, maybe sometimes the arrogant people will have their way. They will do what they want and they will get away. Sometimes we will think this is the way I have to handle my situation with my, with my relatives, with my in-laws, my friends, at, with my colleagues. But arrogance and pride is not for you and me. It's not for you and me. And the Bible says it will never go unpunished. And Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, the wise man records, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Heading up the list of these seven deadly sins, his haughty eyes, proud eyes. We use our eyes to look at the situation and decide in our mind how arrogantly we should behave, how proudly we should be. And heading up this list in this are haughty eyes. And you also find in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, pride and arrogance and the way of evil perverted speech, I hate. God, God hates it. May God help you and me in our relationship in the family with, the, with others. We have to ask God, Lord, temper. Lord, temper my anger, my, my, my temperament, my words. You handle it, Lord. And you find in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, he goes on to tell us, examine yourself. You and I have to examine your, ourselves. I'm sure before the exams, we brush up our notes for the last time. We go through the notes. Maybe I may remember some important point which I can answer in my question and score some marks. We go through the notes. God says, good, go through yourself, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. He was telling this to the Corinthians who were believers. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself that you, Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The, their behavior was as if Jesus Christ was not living in them. Why go far away to Corinthians in the ancient days? Let us examine ourselves now. One servant of God said, the way to upstairs in spiritual life is to go through downstairs. The way to go upstairs in spiritual life is to go to downstairs. First, block arrogance and pride. The second one is beware of backsliding. Beware of backsliding. When Jonah preached more than 100 years ago, they repented with sackcloth and ashes. God gave them a chance to repent. And he was gracious to accept the repentance and forgive them when they did. Jonah was angry when God forgave them because they repented. And they were allowed to live for more than a century. But when they fell back into evil ways, they had to face the anger of God. For you and me, this is a lesson. Remember one thing, nothing can take us away from God. Nothing can take us, take God away from us. Sorry, nothing can take God away from us. But anything can take us away from God. In my experience, I've seen some of the people who have started well, have done some great work for the Lord, have lived for the Lord. Money, other types of temptations draw them away once and for all. There are several Christians. Jesus said, many are chosen. Many are chosen. Many are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. You know, we know that many people are there as believers, but there are very few who are living that life that belongs to God. 
God honors true repentance. He is slow to anger, and but it's not that he will not be angry at all. And in First Corinthians ten. Uh, 12, he said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. It's a strong warning for all of us. Strong warning for all of us. I've seen believers who have been serving God, going into wrong teachings and then into destruction. Second Corinthians 10, 12. He wants us, if you think that you're standing, beware and take heed lest you fall. You and I have to really take time every day for our soul. We take time for exercises. We take time for meeting friends. We take time for shopping. We take time for relaxing before a TV. And the more we begin to feed ourselves with God, his presence, his word, it'll help us to stay humble and to be on guard in our lives. Constant searching is so important for you and me. In the light of God, would never trivialize any sin. There was, I think I shared with you long, but there was a huge tree. Everyone used to admire the tree. It was a very huge one, very tall. And a lot of birds would come and sit on the trees and people would watch with amazement. It would give out nice flowers and people would sit under the shade. One day, because of a mild rain, the tree was down on the ground. And the cause of it is... The tree looked very strong on the outside, but in the inside, it was eaten away by insects. It was eaten away by insects. You and I are called in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. This is how the psalmist prayed. Lord, you know my, if you read verse 1 onwards, you'll, he says, Lord, you know everything about me. When I sit, when I walk, when I lie down, you know everything about me. And then he goes on to say, Lord, search me. Search me. And know my heart. Because I know my heart is evil. I know my heart can be drawn towards that which does not belong to you. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, I'm anxious many times. And I think that I have to handle my life. And then he says, see, Lord, if there are any offensive, evil, sinful, destructive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you and I can search our hearts, test ourselves, examine our lives, it will really help you and me. And Hosea chapter 14 and verse 4, God told the people of Hosea, which, have already, which we have already studied, I will heal their backsliding. I will heal their backsliding. And God is saying, I'm willing to yield. I'm willing to yield myself and heal that backsliding if they only return. He was telling the people of, through the prophet Hosea. And if there's anyone here who's cold in your spiritual life, you, you and I can look healthy like that huge tree, but inside eaten up by arrogance, pride, lust, love of money, anger, bitterness. We are living a cold life. Challenges are so much every day. Sometimes when I react, the one thing that I wanted to see is, Lord, have I sinned against you? I don't want. Help me. It's a huge challenge for you and me. The next one is, we can learn is, be brave to, to wage, wage a spiritual warfare. God destroyed the Assyrians who was a threat to God's people. God has 
left us in this world to battle the dark world of evil. Never think it is for some people who are given some special gift to get into this ministry of praying for people who are demon possessed and people who are struggling because of evil. Man's powerful enemy is the devil in this world, but because of God's Holy Spirit, you and I are blessed with his power and his presence. God plotted the downfall, uh, he plotted the Adam and, uh, downfall of Adam and Eve. Satan plotted the downfall of Adam and Eve. And he did his best to plot the downfall of Jesus in the wilderness through the temptation so that the mission with which God sent Jesus will be failed. And again in the garden of Gethsemane, the same temptation came. My dear brother, my dear sister, you and I have to be brave in God, in Christ, to wage the spiritual warfare. The enemy that God destroyed, the Assyrians, were superpowers at that time. Nobody was more powerful than them. They did all the evil in the world at that time. And God, with one stroke, destroyed them. He did the same thing on the cross of Calvary in Colossians 2 and verse 15. The Bible tells us that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Everyone is a target of the enemy. You are a target of the enemy of our soul. Your family is the target of the enemy of your soul, enemy of, enemy of your life. He is a challenger to all of us. Cain and Abel, God had a plan. God told Eve through the seed of the woman, I will be able to destroy the enemy one day. Cain and Abel, God brought them. The seed was to come through their children, but it so happened, evil destroyed good. Abel's offering God accepted. Cain was an instrument in the hands of the devil to destroy a good person. And it is not just in the Bible, but it's happening even now. Evil wants to destroy the good. You and I can be cold. You and I can think that this is belong, doesn't belong to me. I can be a Christian on a Sunday, give some offering, give some tithes, building fund, missions offering, more than enough, more than enough. I remember Smith Wigglesworth saying, of course, it is not scriptural or uh, I don't know how far it is right. He said, if the Holy Spirit doesn't move me, I move the Holy Spirit. It may be a too big a sentence, but what he meant, I, I believe is that if he finds himself cold in his spiritual life, he will ask the Holy Spirit to touch him and move him to be strong in God. You find in the book of Ephesians, we all have read that scripture many, many times. We have seen and heard the scripture many times. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How strong are we in the Lord? How strong are we in his mighty power? Then he goes on to say in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not an ordinary struggle. Somebody on the road trying to race you when you're driving and going, trying to push you to a corner. It's more than that. He says the struggle is against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
you know, God of this world has blinded the minds of the people. And the principalities and powers are there. The prince of the power of the air is working in the children of disobedience. These are all powerful evil forces. We should not, AGAG community, take the spiritual warfare lightly. God destroyed the Assyrians. They were superpower. And it was just a prelude to let us know one day Jesus will destroy the enemy of our souls on the cross of Calvary. And he did it. And now he's telling us, therefore put on the full armor of God. When the evil comes, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard and after you have done everything to stand, there will be a day of evil. Suddenly it will come. I'm not threatening, frightening. I'm trying to encourage that we have a refuge in God. And if you read Psalm 91, it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him whom I trust. And uh, he says, if you say the Lord is my refuge and make the most high your dwelling, and then he goes on to say in King, New King James Version, because you made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling. You know, there's a difference. If you say is different, because you have made the Lord is different. And here he says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling, he goes on to tell us, no evil will befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. I want to stop here at 12. And this is a very comforting verse. 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over you to, to keep you in all your ways so that we can attend Sunday service. We can attend missions prayer. We can attend weddings, go to office, earn money, build houses, be wealthy and do some ministry. Is not because of that. And verse 12, he says, and in their hands, the angels will bear us up so that our feet does not dash against a stone. You know why? God protects your feet and my feet. It's given in verse 13. The same feet is used to tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. God wants to protect your feet and my feet. Why? Why? To go to places where we can go and have some cushy time? Restaurants? Visits? visits work? Shopping? Be safe? There's something more. He says, because you can tread upon the lion and the cobra, the enemy, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample under feet. Ask God, Lord, this spiritual warfare, what is it? Minister to me. Help me to be ready all the time. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall Come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Come before you one way, flee before you seven ways. And this is a blessed promise. But the base is given in verse 1. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, thy habitation. And verse 1 in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. God wants to keep us inside him because you made the Lord who is my refuge. How? By asking God to give us a heart of obedience. 
you and I can be instruments in destroying evil. And when you and I can dwell in God, he says your enemy will come one ways, but flee seven ways. Your enemy will come one ways, but flee seven ways. You need not have to worry about it. God will take care. Yes, my dear brother, my dear sister, block pride and arrogance. Block pride and arrogance. Beware, lest we fall back. Take care that you don't go back from your ways that God has ordained for you. And finally, be brave to wage a spiritual warfare. Block pride and arrogance. Beware lest we fall back. Be brave to wage a spiritual warfare. A God has been good to you and me. He has given us this gift of life. And he's telling us, reminding us through this prophet, Nahum, my son, my daughter, I never allow pride and arrogance to get away. I will heal backsliding, but I cannot allow evil to continue. I will stop at a time to bring judgment. And then he also says, reminding us, there is a warfare. We are all in it as a church, as a family, as an individual. We all have to get involved in the spiritual warfare for our families, for ourselves, for souls that are dying. And God will use us for his glory. God bless you. And I wanted to hand it over to Captain Joseph to pray now that we will be a community who will never be proud and arrogant individually in our families, in the place where we work, the place where we live. We will take care that none will fall back from what God has called us. And also that we will all be brave to wage a spiritual warfare for the glory of God. Thank you. Over to Captain Joseph to pray.